morning to everyone who's also joining us online. We're glad you could join us here. My name is Ben. For those of you who don't know me, I'm one of the elders here at Sedaris. And I have the opportunity to preach to you today. There. Um, and so, yeah, looking forward to it. Glad we have the opportunity to come together. Uh, if you have a Bible, feel free to turn to Exodus chapter 25. We're going to spend our time today in Exodus chapter 25 all the way through chapter 30. So we're covering a lot of material today. Um, so let's kind of dive right in and, and start with prayer. So if you bow your heads. Father, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to come to worship you. We thank you for this time where we can come and hear from your word and be reminded of the ways that you have acted, the ways that you move, and the ways that you love us. Lord, I pray for the hearts in here today and the hearts that are listening online. You allow them to be open and receptive to the moving of your Holy Spirit and remind everyone here of how much you deeply love us. We ask this in your name. Amen. So as we're getting started, I want you to think about maybe the last time that you moved into a new place. For me and my wife and my family, that's actually pretty recently. About three months ago, we moved into a new place there. And I'll be honest, don't really like the process of moving. There's a lot of packing. There's a lot of stress of, hey, what should we take with us? What should we leave behind? Okay, how are we going to move? When are we going to move? Is everything going to be all right at our new place there? There's a lot of stress that comes with the process of moving. But there is one part about moving that is exciting, that, that I enjoy. It's that moment when you finally get into a new place, all the boxes are out of the truck, and you walk in, and this place is kind of a blank slate, and you go, this is where we have the opportunity to create a home. Whether you move into a room somewhere, or an apartment, or a house, you have the opportunity to really kind of think about how can we create this into my home? And I'm sure you've had that experience where you've, you've spent a lot of time thinking about how should we decorate this place? Where should we put things? You may think about, maybe I'll put up some pictures of family and loved ones. You may think about, oh, maybe I'll put up some mementos that were memories of important events in my life. Maybe I'll put up posters of Places or pictures of places you've been to or that you want to go to. There's a lot of time and energy that goes into thinking about how can we make this place a home? And why do we spend so much time in that there? I mean, I think about when we moved in, we had this, a fireplace in our new place. We didn't have a fireplace in our old place. With a fireplace comes a mantle. And this fireplace is kind of the centerpiece of our main living area. There was a lot of time figuring out what pictures should go up there? Should we put pictures? Should we put candles up there? Should we put plants up there? How should this all look? How should this all come together? And again, we spend a lot of time, a lot of energy thinking how to make this place a home. Why? Well, first off, it's going to be a place we're going to spend a lot of time in. It's going to be a place that we're dwelling in, and so we want it to be comfortable. We want it to be a place that we can relax in, we want it to be a place where we feel comfortable inviting people into, that they would feel welcome into, that they will feel at home and comfortable. But I think also part of the reason that we put so much time, so much energy into thinking about what will our home look like is our home actually communicates a lot about ourselves. It communicates who we are. It communicates the important moments of our life. It communicates the loved ones. It co communicates our hopes and dreams. 
And so when we're thinking about how do we design a home, how do we design the decorations, we want to make sure it's giving an accurate picture of who we are. So you may be wondering why I started here. Why I started talking about how, how do we decorate homes? And the reason is because the passage that we're coming into today, God is asking Moses and the Israelites to build him a home. And he spends these six chapters that we're going to look over today giving details about how this home should be constructed. And in fact, in the book of Exodus, these six chapters and the last six chapters of the book of Exodus are all about the instructions and then the construction of God's home. It makes up a third of the book of Exodus. That for some reason when Moses was writing this, he felt that a third of the book needed to be focused on God's home. So it's important today that we actually take a look at it. Because as our homes communicate something about us, God's home will communicate to us something about him. So we're going to start by looking at the first few verses of the passage. We're not going to read all six chapters today. But we're going to highlight some important areas that really communicate the key and the heart of what God is trying to communicate about himself in this. So the first passage we're going to look at is Exodus 25, verses 1 through 9. And it states, The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the people of Israel, that they may make for me a contribution. From every man whose heart moves him, you shall receive a contribution for me. And this is the contribution that you shall receive from them. Gold, silver, and bronze, blue and purple and scarlet yarns, and fine twined linen, goat's hair, tanned ram skins, goat skins, acacia wood, oil for lamps, spices for the anointing oil, and for the fragrant incense, onyx stones and stones for setting, for the ephod and the breastpiece, and let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. Exactly as I show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle and all of its furniture, so you shall make it. So where we're at in the story here, we've been going through Exodus for, I think this is like Sermon 22, I think. It's been a long time we've been going through the Exodus. We've seen God deliver his people out of slavery into Egypt. Out of Egypt, they're now wandering in the wilderness. The last five weeks, we've been focusing on the law and the Ten Commandments. And now we get to this moment where God is saying, Moses, I want you to go to the people and ask them, whoever feels that their heart is stirred, to make an offering to this construction of my home. Make for me a sanctuary, make for me a tabernacle. And so today, what we're going to look at, and the, what, where we're going to go into today's sermon, is one, we're going to start by just looking at what is the tabernacle? Because that's a word that we don't use very commonly in our language. So I want to make sure you understand really what it is. And then from there, we're going to look and say, okay, what does this actually communicate to us about who God is, because again, our homes share a lot about our character. And then from there, we're going to see how the tabernacle plays, into the part, plays a part in the redemptive story that the whole Bible tells. Because the Bible, even though it's made up of 66 different books, is constructed to tell one story of a God who loves his people and is working to restore a fallen and broken world. We're going to look at the, how the tabernacle plays a part into that. 
And then finally, we're going to wrap up by then saying, based off of what we learned about the tabernacle and based off what we learned about God, how should that influence how we live today? So that's what, where we're going. And so the first question we're going to ask is, what is a tabernacle? What is the tabernacle? And quite simply, it's a tent. It's literally what the word means, is a tent. So when God comes to Moses in these circumstances, he's saying, build for me a tent. This is important because the Israelites are wandering through the wilderness themselves. They've left Egypt, and they know that God's promised them a land at some point, but they're not there yet, and they're dwelling in tents themselves. And so God is saying to them, as you dwell in tents, make for me a tent. And these next six chapters will highlight the construction of this tent, how it should be constructed, and the different elements that are, that are supposed to go into this tent. So I think we have an image in there that, Ethan, if you can put up on a slide there, that will give you just a brief image of what the tabernacle is. And we see here that it's constructed. We see in kind of the left side of it, there's a tent, but on the outside, there's also a courtyard. And each, el- each aspect of this tent and courtyard has different elements that are going to communicate something about God. And it's kind of small up there, but you may see that inside the tent, there's two rooms also made. There's an entry room called the holy place, and then further in, there's a smaller room called the holy of holies. So, Ethan, you can go ahead and take that down if you want there. Um, But let's talk about these things. First off, God builds a courtyard. He says, build me a tent, but surround it with this courtyard. And in this courtyard, it's going to be a place where he's going to ask the Israelites to provide two things. The first he's going to ask them to make is an altar made of bronze. And the second thing he's going to ask them to make is a basin filled with water of bronze. And you may be wondering, okay, why are these things being implemented and being asked to be put into basically God's front yard? Well, If you're familiar with the story of the Bible, we know that humanity has sinned. That sin has marked everyone throughout history. And that the consequences of sin was death, and there needed to be a payment of that. And what God is trying to illustrate to the Israelites is saying, in my home, I'm providing you the opportunity to have that forgiveness from these sins through this altar where you can make sacrifices. And so God is starting to prepare the Israelites on how they will have a representative and an example of what the forgiveness of sins mean. So he instructs them to build this altar. And this altar is where they would sacrifice animals. And this bronze basin is where the priests would go before they would make sac- uh, sacrifices and they could wash themselves and cleanse themselves and have this ritualistic experience where they would then be able to go and make sacrifices for the people of Israel on this altar as a representation that they, the Israelites had their forgiveness of sins. That's the first thing that God wants to communicate to them, is the importance of the forgiveness of their sins. From there, the other aspect of this courtyard is the tabernacle itself. 
you have this tent that was built that God had asked the Israelites to donate whatever they could. Asked them to donate ram skins, goat skins, wood. Asked them to donate yarn of blue and purple and red so that they could construct the actual dwelling place where God could dwell. And so they used the skins and the wood to build the structure. And as a doorway, as an entranceway, they weaved the yarns of purple and blue and red together to create a doorway that separated the courtyard from the actual entrance into the house. And when you would enter into this house, you'd enter into the first room, the holy place. The holy place would be a place that was actually reserved just for the priests. That they could go into, or into and, and experience some of God's presence. And God instructs them to build three things for the entrance into God's house in the holy place. The first he instructs them to build a table. This table would be supposed to be built of wood and coated in gold. And on this table, they would stack 12 loaves of bread that each week would be replaced and the priests could eat of the bread each week. But the 12 loaves were to be representative of the 12 tribes of Israel that God is implementing into his home to say, the 12 tribes are part of my home. That I am Lord of the 12 tribes of Israel. God is trying to communicate through this table of bread that he is Lord over the 12 tribes. The other thing that they asked to implement into and build for him is a lampstand. And in this lampstand, it's supposed to be built with branches to hold the candles and be lit. And they're supposed to be representative of an almond tree. And a lampstand's actually supposed to be a representation of the tree of life that was found in the Garden of Eden. That this lampstand that God is trying to communicate to Israel, that I am the God from the very beginning. When God created the heavens, the earth, the, the very first place that man dwelt was in the Garden of Eden. And God is trying to communicate through this lampstand that's supposed to be modeled after the tree of life, that he is the God of Eden and he's the God of today for them. And then the last thing that they asked them to build is another altar. And this is an altar of incense. That at the back of this room, there would be another veil that separated the holy place from the holy of holies. And before this veil, there would be another altar where the high priest, each day, morning and evening, would come and make a sacrifice of incense to, the God, to God. And then once a year on this altar of incense in the holy place, the high priest would also make a sacrifice for God on the day of atonement. That would be a representative of a sacrifice for all the sins of all of Israel. And through that sacrifice was a representation of the purification and the restoration and the cleansing of the sins of the people and the sins of the high priest. And on that day, in the day of the atonement, the high priest could then enter into the next place of God's home. And that is the Holy of Holies. Now this Holy of Holies, again, is separated by a veil that is almost exact to the veil that was separating the courtyard to the holy place. But there's one prominent difference. That God asked the Israelites to weave into these veils to embroider 
golden cherubim. Now, golden cherubim, uh, we don't know exactly what they look like, but the representation of angelic figures that were used to guard the presence of God. We see that when Adam and Eve get cast out of the Garden of Eden after they sinned, God places cherubim to guard the entrance of the Garden of Eden. So again, we see this theme, the construction of the tabernacle, that God is trying to communicate something about how he is the God of Eden. We'll come back to that a little bit more later. But in this Holy of Holies, this would be the place that God himself would dwell. The Holy of Holies would be constructed to be the throne room of God, where the Spirit of God would descend and dwell, and there was going to be one item in this throne room. And God asked them to build what is called the Ark of the Covenant. Now, many of you may have seen the movie Raiders of the Lost Ark with Indiana Jones. That movie is all about the Ark of the Covenant. But their representation of it is a little bit different. It's not going to melt the face of Nazis. Instead, it was to house the tablets of the Ten Commandments. The law that God had just given to Israel was to be housed in this ark. And it was supposed to be placed in the the center of the Holy of Holies as a reminder of the covenant and the law that Israel was to base their life upon. And the lid of this covenant is referred to as the mercy seat. And it was built as a seat, as a representation that this is God's throne. Again, when God is asking them to build a tent, he's also asking them, build me my throne room. Because this is where heaven is going to meet earth. This is where I'm going to dwell. Now, that's a really brief overview of the tabernacle. There's a whole lot more details about what these things are built on, what the dimensions of everything are. And if you want to know those, you're welcome to read through the passages. We don't have the time to do that today. But I wanted to give you an overview of what this is. It literally is just a tent. But God is trying to communicate something to his people through this because it is his home. And so when we read it, we also have to ask ourselves, okay, this isn't just meant to be like, okay, here's some interior design instructions. It's meant to communicate to us something about the character and the nature of who God is. And so that's what we're going to look at next. And the very first thing that we see that is communicated by the tabernacle and the instructions that are given on how it should be built that we can take away from it about who God is, is God is holy. What is holiness? Literally, the, world means to, the word means to be set apart. But it also is referencing the purity, the sinlessness of God. God is trying to communicate through all of this that he is holy. And we see that, first off, by the very first thing that Israelites or the priests would see as they walked in the courtyard was what? A bronze altar on which sacrifices must be made. That God wanted, as people approached him, the reminder that I am holy, I am without sin. 
You are not. Sacrifice must be made to pay and cleanse you of those sins. God wanted to illustrate how he was holy, not just by the altars, but also by the layout. Again, to be holy is to mean to be set apart. And God sets himself apart by putting themselves in the holy of holies, the most internal place of this construction, of this tent and courtyard. And in this construction, again, the Israelites were welcome to go into the courtyard. They were not welcome to enter into the holy place. Only the priesthood could enter into the holy place of the tabernacle. Again, God is setting himself apart. He's trying to communicate his holiness. But in regards to the holy of holies, the priests couldn't enter there. Only one person could, the high priest, and that priest could only do it once a year. After making an additional sacrifice, could he enter into the holy of holies and communicate directly with God? Again, God is saying, I want to dwell with my people, but I want them to understand that I am holy. In fact, that's one of the biggest themes of all of Scripture is God's holiness. And we often try to shy away from it because when we look at God's holiness in regards to our standing and who we are, we understand our brokenness and it makes us uncomfortable. And honestly, that should make us uncomfortable. Proverbs talks about how the fear of God is the beginning of all wisdom. And that references this understanding that God is holy and we are not. There should be a little bit of discomfort when we realize that. God is different than us. I think too often we want to just relegate God to, oh, he's our friend. Oh, he's, he's nice and he's kind. But God also wants to remind us of his holiness. That he is different from everything else. And the construction and the layout of his home is built in a way to try to communicate this to the Israelites. In fact, at the end of all this construction, on all these instructions, he says, you know what, as you build it, the final thing is you need to anoint everything. In verses 30, 25 through 29, it says, And you shall make these a sacred anointing oil blended as by a perfumer. It shall be a holy anointing oil. With it you shall anoint the tent of meeting, and the ark of the testimony, and the table, and all its utensils, and the lampstand, and its utensils, and the altar of incense, and the altar of burnt offering, with all its utensils, and the basin, and its stand. You shall consecrate them that they may be most holy, and whatever touches them will become holy. So at the end of all the instructions of what needed to be made, how it should be made, all the fine details that, spent, that God spent six chapters instructing them on, God says, they still need to be made holy through the anointing of the oil because I am holy. When we read about the tabernacle, we should remember the holiness of God. And we can't forget that. The other aspect that we see here of what the tabernacle communicates to us is God is king. How do we see that? Well, first off, the very first thing we notice is they make him a literal throne. The Ark of the Covenant with a mercy seat where God could dwell and sit on as a throne. 
That people, when they were approaching the tabernacle, they weren't just approaching a tent. They were approaching the throne room of the king. We also see this illustrated in the materials that were used to build the tabernacle and build the courtyard. You see, on the outskirts, we see bronze. We see a bronze altar and a bronze basin. What you will notice as well, too, when you read the passage, is that the hooks to hang the curtains and the uh, hooks to hang the skins so that people could be, uh, so uh, the fences and the tent could be made, the materials that are used to make the hooks change as you approach the throne room and get closer to the Holy of Holies. They go from bronze to silver to gold. So that as people are getting closer and closer to this throne room, the materials that are being illustrated are used and used are communicating more value because they are getting closer and closer to the king. God is trying to communicate to the people of Israel that he is their king. This is actually a really important theme for the book of Israel. Because one of the main conflict, or for the book of Exodus, because one of the main conflicts that we see is this confrontation of God and Pharaoh. We spent much of the first uh, fifteen sermons on that confrontation, on how Israel was enslaved by Pharaoh. What we've also seen, even after Israel is delivered. From, Exit, or from Egypt, they've gone through the Red Sea. Almost immediately, we see the Israelites start grumbling. And they start saying, we should go back to Egypt. We should go back to Pharaoh. And God is trying to contrast himself with Pharaoh. And to illustrate to Israel that he is their king. And he wants to illustrate by the building of his tabernacle that he is a different king. God has authority over his life. By representing himself as king, when he's given his commandments and his law, he's trying to say, yes, these need to be obeyed because I am your king. But the tabernacle also highlights the reason they should be obeyed is because God is good. How does it illustrate that? We've already seen God's desire in the very first instruction when he's saying, hey, go build me this tabernacle. He says, why? So that I may dwell with my people. In the midst of his instructions, so again, it's six chapters of instructions on how to build the tabernacle. God pauses at a moment. In Exodus 29, verses 45 and 46, actually become the key to understanding the whole tabernacle. And in this verse, God says, I will dwell among the people of Israel and will be their God, and they shall know that I am the Lord their God who brought them out of the land of Egypt, that I might dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. God, from the very beginning, has always desired, even though he's holy, even though he's set apart, even though he is a king, he's always desired to dwell amongst his people. We see that even in the beginning of Scripture. In the Eden, it says, 
God used to walk in the cool of the day in the Garden of Eden. With Adam and Eve, he was in relationship with them. And his actions has always been, since they've been driven out because of their sin, to find ways to restore this relationship with humanity so that he could once again dwell amongst his people. How does this communicate to us that, that God is good? Because again, we see that in the contrast of Pharaoh versus God. The king that the Israelites are saying, maybe we should go back to Egypt and go back to, Israel, or go back to Pharaoh. They're saying, maybe go back to the one who didn't really live with us and in fact wanted to kill all of our children. It's the whole first chapter of the book of Exodus. Is Israel saying, or Pharaoh saying to Israel, I'm going to kill your kids. I don't care about you. I'm afraid of you. I don't want you to usurp my power. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to kill your children. And God, after going through all the events of Exodus, is trying to illustrate to the Israelites, I am your king now. I am good. Because the circumstances that you find yourselves in, you find yourselves wandering without a home, dwelling in tents. I'm going to dwell there with you. I'm going to step into your circumstances and experience them as well. God is good. He doesn't abandon his people. He steps into their circumstances because he desires to dwell amongst them. He desires to understand them. He desires to experience their pain because he cares. And even though he is holy, even though he is king, he is good. And this tabernacle was a way to communicate that. Say, I'm going to dwell as you dwell. By building this tabernacle, he's also trying to provide the Israelites with a constant reminder of his goodness because he knows their hearts are fickle. He knows they're easily swayed. He's already seen how they're grumbling and going, wanting to go back to Pharaoh. In a few short chapters, we're going to see how they're already thinking about worshiping other gods. We see in Joshua, the book of Joshua, as Israel finally is getting prepared to enter into the land of promise, Joshua says, it's time for you all to put aside the gods that your fathers worshiped in Egypt. In Joshua 24. And what Joshua is, is highlighting for us is, you guys are still worshiping the gods of Egypt. You were, your fathers were worshiping the gods of Egypt. And just as the book of Exodus is a contrast of God and Pharaoh, the book of Exodus is a contrast of God and gods. And so by building a tabernacle to place it into the heart, the center of the Israelites' encampments, and that what the way that it was constructed, the Israelites were supposed to put their tents around the tabernacle as they dwelled, as they camped, and as they marched and traveled. Six tribes of Israel would march in front, six in back, with a tabernacle in the middle. The tabernacle was to be a reminder that God was supposed to be center and that he was a God that was above every other God. 
Because again, he dwelled amongst them. He didn't abandon them. He knew that the hearts of the Israelites were fickle, just as our hearts often are. And so he's trying to communicate to them, have me at the center so that you aren't ensnared by the other gods. And that's going to be a common theme that comes up in Israel's story. And the irony of it all is just as God was trying to deliver Israel out of Egypt because Pharaoh wanted to kill their kids, Israel would end up worshiping gods that demanded child sacrifices and they would kill their kids themselves. God knew the hearts of his people and he wanted to have them have a reminder that he was good, that he was better than these gods. So he had them build a tabernacle and he dwelled amongst them to remind them that he was with them, that he understood them, that he was good and wasn't going to abandon them like the other gods. He chose to dwell amongst them in a temporary tent. And this temporary nature of this tent is important. Because it's also meant to create an expectancy for the Israelites. That there was going to be a home for God. That God has always desired to dwell amongst his people. That there would be a more permanent way that God would dwell amongst his people. For Israel, many of them thought that would be the temple that eventually gets built by King Solomon. But that was also a temporary place for God to dwell. And when we hear this language of dwelling it should remind us of something else. Just as God the Father desired to dwell with the people of Israel in a tent as they traveled throughout the wilderness waiting to approach their promised land, there's someone else who would choose to dwell amongst men. And we see that in John chapter 1, verse 14. John writes, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory Glory as the, son, as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. We, we want to know how does the tabernacle play a part in the redemptive story for us all? The answer is the tabernacle points to Jesus. How? Again, the tabernacle was a place where God chose to dwell amongst his people. In John, we see that the Word, who earlier in verse 1 says the Word was God, referring to Jesus, the Son of God, chose to do what? To become flesh and dwell among us. And here's something that's very important, especially about that word dwelt. The literal word, the Greek word, is skenoo. The literal translation of that word, to dwell in a tent. The literal translation of this verse is, and the word became flesh and tabernacled amongst us. You see, what John is trying to illustrate to his readers is that tabernacle that God made, that that temporary tent that would be the dwelling place of God, was a foreshadowing. 
The place where you could go and offer sacrifices for the forgiveness of your sin. The place where God would dwell, where heaven would meet earth, was a foreshadowing. It was a picture of something that would come and be more permanent because God desires to dwell amongst his people, not in a temporary state, but in an eternal state. And so the tabernacle, when we read it, we should understand that it's creating the expectancy for the one who would issue in an eternal dwelling of God. The author of Hebrews highlights this about how Jesus does this and accomplishes this as a tabernacle. In Hebrews chapter 9, it references, it talks a lot about the tabernacle and its purpose. And in verses 11 through 12, it says, But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through a greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is not of this creation, he entered once and for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. So what is the author of Hebrews trying to say? That all that used to happen in the tabernacle, the sacrifices that were made, the priests who would do that, the priests who would be able to enter into the presence of God, were all a foreshadowing of Jesus who could do that on a permanent nature. That through his death, through his own blood, could purchase an eternal redemption unlike the blood of the goats and the calves. That as a greater priest who had access to the eternal throne room of God, he could enter just as the high priest did, as a mediator on our behalf, but be able to do that in an eternal manner. Everything that happens in the tabernacle is a foreshadowing and a picture of what Christ would do. So that when we read in the book of Exodus, when we read about the tabernacle, when we read about the future temple as well too, in later books of the Old Testament, these are just pictures of what God the Son, Jesus Christ, would do through his own death and resurrection. And we see this exemplified in the moment of the crucifixion. By that point, the temple had, been replaced, had replaced the tabernacle, but it still had a holy of holies. It still had a veil separating the dwelling place of God from the rest of people. And at the moment of Jesus' crucifixion, there's an earthquake, and the, Bible, and the Scripture says that the veil of the temple was torn in two. The meaning behind that is that through Jesus' death, what separated us from God was eternally repaired. That we have an eternal redemption because of what Jesus has done. So no matter where you're at, whatever sin you've done, you do not need to be separated from God. You may have sinned this morning. You may have sinned during this service. You may be sitting there, I can't approach God. And that is a lie because of what God has accomplished already, what Jesus has accomplished already. That that veil that used to set apart God from us was torn by the blood of Jesus. So that we're able to say, a sacrifice has been made. I have been forgiven. I have the ability to be in relationship with a Father and a God who loves me. And nothing I can do can change that. That's what the tabernacle should remind us of. The work that Jesus came to accomplish. 
we can find hope in that. We can find comfort in that. We can find grace and forgiveness in that. All the tabernacle is is a reminder that God is taking the steps to be able to dwell amongst us through the Son who came and dwelt amongst us in the flesh. The Son who came and tabernacled amongst us. So now what? What do we do? How does this impact us today? We've talked a little bit about how the tabernacle, the reason it was placed, built was to be a reminder of what God has done. To be a physical reminder that God was dwelling amongst his people. And as Israel's traveled during the day, a cloud went before them, and at night a pillar of fire went before them, and when they would camp, that pillar of fire, pillar of cloud, depending on the time, would then descend upon the Holy of Holies and rest. They had this visual reminder that God was dwelling amongst them. When Jesus walked on this earth, people had a visual reminder of what it meant for God to dwell amongst his people. You may be wondering, like, where's that for us? Because to be honest, sometimes easy to forget what God has done for us. Just as Israel's hearts were fickle, easily swayed by other kings, easily swayed by other gods, our hearts are too. And to be honest, I'm guessing many of us, especially over this last year and a half, have felt distant from God at times. I think there's a reason why. The reason behind this is because the way that God dwells amongst us now is in the form of the Holy Spirit dwelling in the hearts of his people. You see, in 1 Corinthians 3.16, Paul writes, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? If you are a Christian, if you are a follower of Jesus, the Holy Spirit dwells within you. You are now the temple of God. You are a representation of how God dwells amongst us. And so what should we do with that? We should seek to be reminded of the way God works. I think part of the reason I've felt distant from God at times this last year and a half was because the world shut down. We didn't have the opportunity to come and see how God was working in the lives of our fellow temples. Jesus says in Matthew 18, 20, For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. If you want a visual representation of how God dwells amongst us today, you have to put yourself amongst the people of God. So those of you here, we're so glad you're here. For those of you that are tuning in line, online, now may be the time to return to church. If you felt distant from God, now may be the time to get back into the community of God. To go and experience what God is doing in the lives of others and see the temple of the Holy Spirit and how God is shaping people's lives. Again, if you have been watching online and you don't feel safe returning, don't return yet. 
But if you've been tuning in online because you've liked the flexibility or the distance, like, oh, I don't want to get out of bed that early, maybe time to return. Because it's amongst the people of God that we get a glimpse of God. And how is that? We do that by actually sharing what God is doing in our lives. So just as it's important for us to come and witness what God is doing in the lives of others, we should be willing, as temples of the Holy Spirit, to share what God is doing in our lives so that others can see what God is doing. So if you have something to celebrate, God has blessed you in a great way. Celebrate that. Share what God is doing. If you're in a place where life is rough, life is tough, but you're just clinging to a hope of what God has done, share that too. Because we need to see how God works in all circumstances. Because we are now the temple of God. We are the tabernacle of God. God has chosen to dwell amongst us in our hearts through the Holy Spirit. That is how we have a visual representation of how God is working, is when we see God change the hearts of his people. The last thing we should be thinking about as well, too, when we think about the tabernacle. How should this influence our lives? We should be thinking about how we can participate in God's restoration of Eden. That's weird. That's kind of strange to think about. But the tabernacle is also a picture of Eden. I've already mentioned that a little bit when I referenced the lampstand. The lampstand that was put into the holy place was built as a representation of the tree of life that was found in Eden. The tabernacle, the way it was supposed to be constructed, its entrance was supposed to be facing east as the Garden of Eden's entrance would. The cherubim that guarded the place in the dwelling place of God would be a representation of the cherubim that would guard the Garden of Eden where God would, would walk on earth. See, by building the tabernacle in this way, God is trying to set, communicate to his people, I am working to restore Eden. I'm working to restore paradise. I'm working to restore a place where we can dwell, I can walk and talk and communicate and dwell amongst you. You have a responsibility. I'm inviting you. God is inviting his people in building the tabernacle to help them do that. It's an invitation. At the very first verses that we read today, God doesn't say, go and get all these things from everyone, make them give it. He asks, for those who are, whose hearts are stirred to give. He's giving them an invitation to say, come and help me bring heaven to earth. And this is something that God's work isn't finished in. He's still working towards it. And we as Christians have the opportunity, God is invite, inviting us to, to partake in this minute, mission to continue to bring heaven to earth. So how do we do that? That's a question that you should ask for yourself. It's a very personal question. Helping bring heaven to earth doesn't mean everyone needs to quit their jobs, go on a missions trip, start working for a church. That's not what that means. But when you think about what you're doing with your lives, when you're thinking about the work that you're doing, asking yourself, isn't the work that I'm doing 
helping accomplishing bringing heaven to earth? Is it making the world a place that has more peace? Is it a place where people can ex- feel safe? Is it a place where people can experience grace? There's lots of ways that we can do that. And I would ask yourself, I would ask you to ask yourselves this week, what am I doing and how can I shape my life to help bring heaven to earth and participate in the mission of God? Just as God invited the Israelites in building a tabernacle, help me bring heaven to earth. Because God is still working towards this mission. He's not finished. There's lots of work to be done. And we know this because we see in the book of Revelation, at the very end, John has a vision of what is happening at the end of days. And this is what he cites. In Revelation 21, verse 3, he says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. That is so similar to the passage that we read in Exodus 29. It's a reminder to us that God's work on restoring earth, bringing heaven to earth, is not finished. We know it will be finished. When we read Revelation, we should take hope in that. That God's work will be finished. But today he invites us to participate in that work as well. As we've noted, God is a good king. He is a holy God. And he invites us to participate in his goodness and participate in the work of bringing heaven to earth. We have been freed from our sins because of the work of Jesus. Now let us go forth and continue to work, do the work of God.